Hello, this is Michael Dubin with Living Skills. In our time together in this podcast, I would like to talk about self-care is self-esteem, part two. Last time, we talked about the fact that self-esteem is a real and an ongoing need. It is fundamental that we work toward meeting all of our real needs. Additionally, when you learn how to earn it from yourself, self-esteem can help you make better decisions and choices in life. You can be inspired not to let your life get stale or routine or become trapped in old emotional or mental patterns that can be limiting, if not destructive. Now, there are all kinds of ideas out there in popular culture about what self-esteem is and isn't. The bottom line is that self-esteem is your evaluation of you. In part one, we talked about the fact that in order to have more self-esteem, you need to determine that you are a powerful person, meaning you give yourself the permission to take actions in life, to make decisions, etc., You don't wait on others to tell you it is okay to do so. You don't rely on others telling you what to do. And you do already have the authority to give yourself that permission, to be powerful enough to take the actions you need to take. None of us are helpless, and we are not victims. Power is the willingness and the ability to act, to take action. Also, Self-esteem comes from working to get better and better at thinking and feeling. Look at and reflect upon your patterns of doing each and see where you can improve and grow. And finally, it is essential to evaluate your own character. Do you act with integrity? Always? There is no self-esteem without integrity. We concluded that discussion with three things to do daily. 1. Be brutally honest with yourself about everything and tactfully honest with others. Secondly, be responsible all or at least most of the time and always about the big things. That said, you don't have to be perfect. 3. Integrity. Doing the right thing because it is the right thing to do. All of the What we've just talked about, and talked about in part one, is very doable. And most of you do some, or most of this, already. If you have not read part one, or listened to the podcast, I would encourage you to do so. All of that said, let's look at what else is there to self-esteem. A big part of self-care, and thus self-esteem, is seeking to understand yourself. Why are you the way you are? As a silly example, well, I'm a Taurus, so that's why I'm stubborn. Seriously? Would you accept that excuse from someone else? Why are you stubborn? You like to be right? You hate change? You think you know it all? You don't trust other people's opinions or knowledge? What? You get the point. No, you don't need to call me and do six months of counseling to figure out why you like strawberry ice cream. You just do. Okay, fine. But when you start to run into things like you realize that your lack of trust and love is messing up your relationships, then maybe it would be a good idea to understand why you don't trust love rather than doing without it in your life. Just saying. 
learn to understand yourself. Why do you immediately get defensive when someone asks you a question? Why do you fear losing yourself in a relationship? Why do you like challenges? Why do you hate challenges? Why do you feel like you have to prove yourself to everybody else? Why do you love the thrill of a roller coaster? Why do you love change? Why do you hate change? Why are you always drawn to the bad boys or bad girls? It is those kinds of things that can trip us up that we should start with. Once you have recognized and, and acknowledged the pattern, go deeper. Why do I hold on to these patterns or habits? What can I learn about me here? It is also of paramount importance to seek to understand, at least on a working level, other people. Now, understanding does not mean you have to agree or be the same. Nor does it mean that you have to convert them to your way of thinking or being, nor be converted to their way of thinking or being. It is part of respect towards self or others to acknowledge differences, and we all are different. I'll give you an example how this might play out in a relationship. In dating, part four, preparing yourself for the rigors of dating, we talked about the five love languages. The five love languages is a method of understanding how people prefer to give and receive affection. How, in some sense, we feel loved. Comprehending what has meaning to us in a relationship. I recently worked with someone who is in what she reported to be a really good relationship, but there was one hurdle. Her partner expressed affection through lots of touching. She didn't like being touched all the time. Didn't mean she didn't like sex. She did. She just didn't like the feeling of, have her, of having her boundaries, her physical space, invaded all of the time by constantly being touched. She's like me in that our primary love language is acts of service. Her partner could not understand that. His primary love language is physical touch. So who has to change here? Neither of them in truth. The place to start is having the understanding of each other's priorities. Have that conversation or a series of conversations rather than, well, you don't love me because you won't let me touch you whenever I want to. Or, well, you never help me around the house. So instead of packing up my marbles and storming off, as we understand one another and ourselves here, we can build stronger and longer lasting bridges toward one another by making accommodations over time out of respect and understanding. And in that seeking to honestly understand ourselves and someone else, or other people in general, we will also generate more self-esteem from ourselves for ourselves. Also, in seeking understanding, seek meaning. What do things mean to you? You're the only one who has the authority to make that decision. In the example we just talked about, what does it mean that one partner does not want to feel like she's being pawed or petted all the time? It means, at least to her, that she wants to be related to in a way where she feels seen and heard as something and someone more than a sex partner. She wants to be related to on all levels as someone worthy of attention, affection, respect, compassion, and being understood rather than constantly dealing with, if you don't let me touch you endlessly, you don't love me, which would not be true. Now, I am exaggerating to a bit to make the point.
But what do things mean to you? Another silly example. If I can't get to the grocery store early in the week, it causes me anxiety. Okay, we have established that understanding. Now, what does that mean? Well, it could mean I like to have my chores out of the way so my weekend is free. It could mean that when I go, it gives me some time alone to decompress and be productive at the same time. It could mean that when I go on the weekend and the shelves are picked over and the stores out of what I want and need, it makes me unhappy. What do things mean to you? What does something mean to someone else? I know someone with chronic pain issues and they say, I feel like shit. A lot. Yeah, I understand that part, but I have no idea what that means. Does it mean the same thing every time they say it? Is it always about their physical discomfort? Or does it mean something else? Bottom line, seek to understand yourself and then seek to understand others, even if you don't agree with them or have the same belief system as them or have any desire to be like them. And seek to understand what things actually mean to you. The Kroger cashier was short-tempered with you. Does that mean they dislike you? Or were they having a bad day? Or were they just really busy? And seek to understand what things mean to others. I'm not trying to turn you all into therapists, but if you will work with understanding and meaning, you will become better humans with more self-esteem. The next step correlates to the third step in part one, in which I recommended that you evaluate your own character. We talked about it in terms of looking at establishing integrity and principles, and thus, character. Do I live by my principles like not consciously hurting others? Do I have integrity? Am I a person who keeps my word, etc.? Do I have the courage of my convictions? Now in this step, take it to the next level. Look at and evaluate your motivations. What motivates the actions you take? Are my actions taken with the motivation, the intention of being honest, having integrity, being a caring person, establishing a greater level of closeness, whatever? Or am I motivated by expediency? Expediency meaning, I'll get to all of the character stuff later when I have time, or when it's more convenient, but for right now, let's keep things simple at all costs. Or, let's just go with whatever feels good at the moment, or with what meets my desire for immediate gratification. I need leverage here, so I'm going to manipulate the situation. I'll just try to see what I can get away with. Now, in part one, we talked at some length about dealing with yourself in bad faith. When you look at your motivations and intentions, you will know what is true for you, though you might hate to think it true. In a relationship, I want this and you want that, and that can be anything from where we go to dinner to establishing the boundaries and rules of our relationship and anything in between. And instead of working through the process of understanding, and that can be a quick process, I choose to manipulate you to get what I want, whether that means Chinese for dinner rather than Mexican, or having an open relationship even though that's not what you want. Suppose you're having a disagreement with a family member or friend or loved one, and they will say and do anything to be right, to win the argument, or they just want to shut you down. They want this to happen now. 
thus the sense of expediency. Clearly, this kind of behavior is not okay, even if it reflects their lack of self-esteem. A work example. How many of you have had the experience of working for a supervisor or manager who will say and do anything out of a sense of expediency to get you to do what they want right then? What they are saying, or what they may want, may not even make rational or logical sense, but nevertheless, they want you to do X, and they will manipulate you into doing it. Or a manager who is such a control freak that if you walked in and said, the sky is blue, the response would be, yeah, but except when, or it is not, it's whatever, and they will argue you to the mat until you give up in exhaustion. This is obviously neither leadership nor even good or effective management, but for them, it is expedient. It is what they need and want right at the moment. These people will not have much of any self-esteem to speak of, and having had exposure to these kinds of managers at some point in your life, you are acquainted with this kind of behavior and its potential impact. Evaluate your own motivations and intentions. Are they motivated from character and integrity or from a need for expediency? The more of this kind of evaluation you do, the happy and the happier you are with what you find, the more self-esteem you will have. And if you don't like what you find, you are always in a position of power to do something about it. The next step, and this corresponds to the second step in part one, which is about honestly evaluating how good you are at thinking and feeling. How good are you at each? What are your patterns? Where can you improve or deepen these abilities? In this step, look at how well you integrate thought and feeling. As example, if you wake up in the middle of the night and hear someone moving about downstairs and you live alone, you are rightfully going to be afraid. Absolutely. However, if you suddenly wake up afraid in the middle of the night, does that automatically mean there is an intruder downstairs? If someone says something that hurts your feelings, yes, you are going to feel hurt or at least a bit peevish, right? But if for some reason you are feeling hurt, does that mean someone else said or did something to make you feel hurt? Or is it just a feeling passing through? If someone does something deceitful behind your back, you are going to be angry. But if you feel angry, does that necessarily mean someone went behind your back? That you feel something does not always mean that there is a thought of fact behind it. As we have talked about before, that you have a feeling come up in and of itself is not a cause for either alarm nor celebration. Is the feeling causing the alarm or the desire to celebrate tied to anything? Or is it just a feeling passing through that floated up out of your subconscious mind and you need to let it go? In self-care as knowing your default reaction, we talked about habitual emotional responses. I'm mad because you are late, as always, even though you knew we had to be on time for this event. Okay. But if I feel mad, that doesn't mean you were late. Anger, remember, is one of the default settings. All feelings are legitimate in that you are feeling them. But not all feelings are are legitimate if the thinking that generates them is not accurate. 
You've been sneaking around a lot lately, so you must be up to something. You've been very secretive, and that must mean you are seeing someone else, and I am jealous and hurt. Well, no, actually, I've been trying to plan a surprise birthday party for you, and you know I have a terrible poker face. I can't hide anything well. But when you feel something, acknowledge the feeling, and then see if you have any valid or logical reason to feel that way, rather than denying your feelings. Just don't let your feelings run your life. And if the feeling isn't tied to something in fact, let it go. If it feels good, do it. Remember that old trope? If it feels good doesn't mean it is a good idea. I really like feeling mellow at work, so I'm going to smoke a blunt before work. But walking into work reeking of weed and looking buzzed may not be a good idea. Also, we need to become really well acquainted with ourselves and our patterns to learn to differentiate between real feelings and the urgings of our ego. We may feel, for example, that our boss is a complete toadstool and that they deserve to be informed of that post-haste. However, looking at the logic of that, maybe not so much. More likely, what our ego wants here is for us to express to them that we consider ourselves better than or superior to them probably wouldn't be good for job security. You need thinking and feeling together in order to make decisions on what actions to take in your life, and then you need to be able to evaluate how good of an idea it was after the fact. So, the question in this step is, how good are you at integrating your thinking and feeling? Do you do just fine until a feeling comes up and then it all goes off the rails? Please see our blog and podcast, Feelings, Whoa, Oh, Oh, Feelings. Or, do you think and think and rumen up and stay all up in your head and won't go near feelings for love or money? Doesn't matter what I felt, I think this or thought that. When you try to separate rather than integrate thinking and feeling, self-esteem tanks. Not only will the integration of thought and feeling boost your self-esteem, It will give you a much firmer foundation for honestly evaluating yourself. And you will be amazed at how it will help your sanity levels. The last step, and it goes along with the first step of claiming your power. Here, and this is integral, is the determination of and commitment to the fact that we are not helpless. And yes, there are times when we find ourselves between a rock and a hard place and can't imagine a solution. But the determination to eventually find one will get us through it. Ask for help from loved ones and trusted associates, or from professionals in whatever field. Do research if necessary. Certainly, take a step back and see if you can gain some new perspective on the issue. Remember to breathe. Be patient, meaning look and listen over time for answers that make sense and feel right. See previous step about integrating thought and feeling. Keep on keeping on and that determination that you are not helpless will help you find more personal power and generate more self-esteem. Each of these steps on its own has value and will serve you well. Each of us must determine to be powerful and determine that we are not helpless. We evaluate our ability to think and feel, and we evaluate our ability to integrate what we think and feel.
We evaluate whether we are living by our principles, ideals, character, and we evaluate our motivations in everything we do. This is a process that you can learn to work. Finally, in part one, I told you three things to do daily that will change your life. They are honesty, responsibility, and integrity. To those three, I want to add four more. Trust. Now, my very first blog post and my very first podcast are entitled, But But I Trusted You. Learn to trust yourself and then others. A couple of takeaways from that short post. Say what you mean and do what you say. You will be more trustworthy. Yes, you earn trust from yourself as well, not just from others. Then evaluate. Do your actions match your words? You can learn to trust other people's behaviors, though not necessarily what they say. As example, my brother, for a variety of reasons, is always late. Always. He will tell you he is in the process of getting ready early. He may tell you he is working on getting out the door. What I know I can trust is that he will be late. It's money in the bank. Now, trust is a very big subject, but this can be a good starting point. Are you trustworthy? Are they? Do you, they, say what they mean and do what they say? Do actions match words? How consistent are actions? It is through evaluating those actions and patterns of actions that you can learn what you can and can't trust in yourself and others. Listen to the messages life sends you. Pay attention to your life, not your phone. Life, the universe, whatever you want to call it, has a funny way of sending all of us messages. A song you hear that may strike a chord. A poem that you read that resonates emotionally. A conversation you overhear that tells you something you needed to hear. Or someone reacts to you in an unexpected, good or bad way. Whatever it may be, Pay attention to information coming into you from a variety of sources, especially those from beyond your phone screen. Yes, this is more esoteric, but it will trigger thought and feeling and in so doing, kick you into evaluating and then integrating your thinking and feeling. Let yourself listen to your feelings. Listen to your feelings, understand your feelings about this or that, and use that input to make better decisions without letting your life be run by your feelings. What does your gut, not your ego, but your gut tell you about something or someone? Are your feelings in, con in concordance or at odds with what you are thinking? Thought plus feeling equals emotions. And honor your hopes, your goals, your dreams and desires as they are important to you and revise them as necessary. Finally, never, ever, ever consciously hurt other people or yourself. That doesn't mean you may not inadvertently hurt someone else's feelings, but there is no intention present to do so. We aren't perfect and sometimes we say or do the wrong thing, or we miss the opportunity to say or do the right thing, but never intentionally hurt someone else or yourself. Well, I told you not to make me mad. You got what you deserved. Nope. I told you not to go there. Nope. It isn't what you say, but how you say it 
and why you say it that will immediately impact your self-esteem. So those four again are trust, learn to trust yourself and others. Listen to the messages that life sends you from all kinds of sources, from all kinds of places. Learn to listen to your feelings and evaluate and make good decisions. And finally, never consciously hurt others. Now, you don't have to take my word that what all I've described will work to help you generate more real self-esteem and that it will be rock solid enough for you to lean on. You don't have to take my word. Try it on your own. Give it some time and be open to the process and what can come of that process. And as you work with the components and the process itself, you and your life can change. And don't be surprised if and when it does. Let us know if you have questions or if we can be of help. I hope you have found this podcast of use. If you have any questions or comments or want more information about Living Skills, please feel free to email me at livingskillsinc at gmail.com or contact me through my website, www.livingskills.pro. At Living Skills, we offer positive psychology and transpersonal psychology coaching and counseling, spiritual coaching and counseling, and psychological skills training and education. We are especially sensitive to the needs of the LGBTQ community and also the millennial and Gen Z generations, but our services and skills are applicable to and we work with everyone. The COVID pandemic has been hard on all of us, so if you want or need someone to talk to, we offer a free 45-minute introductory first session. The Problem with Humans podcast is now available on my site, livingskills.pro, as well as on Buzzsprout, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and Amazon Music, as well as on Overcast, Castro, CastBox, and PodFriend. I hope you enjoyed the podcast and will tell friends and colleagues about it. Please join me again in the future. This is Michael Dubin in Atlanta. Thanks for listening.